Welcome to the Sales Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salesstreet.org. We're reading in Acts chapter 27, verses 13 through 44. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed an anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Calda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food. Having taken nothing, therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were, then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. 
at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, oops, oops, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Man, what a story. Let's pray. Father, we just love you and worship you. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your word, for the hope that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Father, may we be transformed by Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the recurring themes in Scripture and the title of this morning's sermon is this. The hopeless now have hope. We've seen it, we see it in Scripture from Genesis where we all lose hope because of sin to Revelation where hope will be fully restored for all of eternity in a place called heaven. And all in between, right? We've seen it throughout the book of Acts. Holy Spirit was promised to come, empower the people to become witnesses, and the gospel would travel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this is our uh, last missionary journey, right? Who, who would think of this story as a missionary journey? But actually, that's what it is, right? The, the message is moving from only Jews to Gentiles. The church is transforming from the church then to the church now. In a few chapters back, we read in chapter 23, verse 11, where the Lord Jesus assured Paul that he would testify in Rome. And so this ship that they are aboard is sailing that direction. And because, first of all, the Lord made that promise to Paul, he is sure that he's going to make it to Rome. And so that's one thing that Paul knows and believes in and trusts in and is hopeful in is, is the fact that he will get to Rome to testify just like the Lord had assured him. Now, it seems a little ironic, right? Like the, in this story where Paul is, is put here for this particular purpose and his life is spared in this terrible storm so that he can live a few more days and go <laughs> and, and die right um so it's not it's not this fairy tale kind of a story where it has just wonderful happy ending and but we see the power of god that delivers hope to hopeless people now people in boats and storms is not an this is not an isolated event in Scripture. We see it a couple other places, right? We see Jesus in a boat with his disciples, and he calmed the storm in that story. We see Jonah in the boat disobeying God, and he caused the storm. And now we see Paul in this boat, and he's bringing hope to people in the midst of the storm. And so 
It's, it's a familiar setting, and the Lord uses all kinds of people in all kinds of ways to deliver hope to those who are hopeless. So the first truth I want to look at is in verse th- verse, verses 13 through 20 this morning. We see the people's hope abandoned. It says, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, sailed along creek close to the shore, and a tempestuous wind called the northeaster. Now these storms that came from the northeast were always the worst storms. So they knew when that storm was coming from the northeast, it was about to get bad. It says, when the ship was caught and couldn't face the wind, they gave way to it, driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Calda, managed with difficulty. They secured the ship's boat, hoisted it up. They took these supports or cables and undergird the ship. And fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and were driven along. Now, this area called Sirtis was kind of like the Bermuda Triangle of North Africa. I mean... The one commentator called it the graveyard of North African merchant ships. I mean, it was just a, a place that was difficult to navigate. Now, some of you may understand that, right? If you like to fish big lake like me, there's places out there that get pretty shallow, and you better pay attention or you, you'll run aground and you'll be there. Well, I've actually spent the night um, in a boat because I ran into ground in, a, in an area. Matter of fact, if you go to big lake, and, and you go down to, to kind of the middle of the lake, there is a steam engine sitting on an oyster reef still today that's been there for almost 100 years because some sailor ran it aground, right? It, it can be difficult to navigate shallow waters, okay? And so terrible storm, treacherous waters without the storm, leads to extreme measures. Look what they do. Fearing they would run aground, they lowered the gear, driven along. Verse 18 says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Remember, this is a cargo ship uh, from the, the previous verses. And it says, on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. In verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. 276 sailors, soldiers, prisoners, and a load of cargo in the middle of this terrible storm in in an area that was dangerous anyway, they took extreme measures. They girded those shipboard cables. They secured the boat. They jettisoned the cargo. They jettisoned the tackle. But with that, they jettisoned their hope, right? It It was abandoned. All hope of being saved was abandoned and what a terrible place to be but like I said recurring theme in scripture the title of this message the hopeless now have hope so what leaves us hopeless what leaves you and I hopeless today right we're in a heated building I've heard a a lot of uh, testimonies of how folks are enjoying that this morning right man it feels so good in here coming out of that cold weather man we're all pretty healthy matter of fact we were rejoicing this morning my friend Reginald came to me last week and uh, he was somewhat hopeless he said man would you pray for my wife she is very very sick I said absolutely 
Man, we prayed for her, and she testified this morning as she sits in the pew that God did what only he could do and, and healed her. And she's here to rejoice with all the rest of us who have found hope because of God has done what only he can do. But it's, yeah, praise the Lord, man. There, it's not just health that leaves us hopeless, though. There's a, a myriad of things in life that can leave us hopeless. First and foremost, when, when you and I commit our very first sin, we become spiritually hopeless. One sin is all it takes. One sin. And like this tempestuous wind in this story, we, we can't face it, right? That sin begins to, to drive us along. It begins to, to shade the light of the sun and moon, and in our own strength, there's nothing we can do to overcome it. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe sin is absolutely destroying your life, and it's driving you in the wrong direction, and you know it, and you're hopeless. If that's you, I, I just say, stay tuned, right? Hang in there. Man, this gets, this gets good. There is good news for you this morning. But we see it in a lot of other places too, right? Marriages today are abandoning hope like never before. I mean, even the, the, the very view that God gives us of marriage is disappearing at an alarming rate. I mean, it, it just, marriage carries very little weight even these days. People are abandoning hope in their marriages over the most trivial things. Many are hopeless in these situations. Maybe that's you today. And if so, stick around. There's good news. Churches. Churches today are facing the headwinds, all kinds of headwinds, right? And we talked a little bit about that last week. When, when, you know, Paul was like, man, those headwinds, do we really want to set sail in it? Sometimes you don't have a choice, right? You, they, they're coming whether you want it or not. And man, it's from pandemics to natural disasters to, you know, this uh, people walking away from the faith. I mean, you just read all of these different statistics. Churches have fashioned their sales, if you will, out of the fabric of attendance and offerings and meaningless programs and ideas and when the storm comes, those things don't hold up, much like the tackle and the sails in this boat couldn't hold up to the storm. But if we, set our, if we fashion ourselves out of the fabric of God's Word, and that's what we're going to see in this story, we move in the direction that He would have us to go, and we are no longer hopeless. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your extended family. Maybe it's your neighbor your neighborhood and wherever the the storm may be pounding in your life wherever you realize that your efforts are powerless right and that's really the message that I want us to walk away with today is that we need to come to a place where we recognize that we are powerless we are powerless in the face of sin, but 
We are not without hope. Verses 21 through 26. We see hope proclaimed. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up. He said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And so this angel of the Lord comes to Paul and assures him of what will take place. And Paul stands before the people on the ship, and he proclaims hope because he has been assured by the word of God of what will happen. This angel of the Lord appeared to him and and made a promise to him, and he knew that that's exactly what would happen. Verse 21, it it almost sounds like Paul is saying, I told you so, right? But what he's really saying is, trust me. And there's a difference. You know, sometimes when we say something, people don't listen, and it turns out that that was true, we kind of pout and leave, right? It's kind of like, y'all didn't listen to me. I'm just going to sit here and not say anything. No. He's like, man, trust me. I, I told you, we shouldn't leave in Crete. But guess what? We're here. And we have to deal with the circumstances. But trust me this time. Because I know what I've been told by the angel. I know the word that I have received from God. And I trust in that. And I believe it. And that's what Paul was was proclaiming. So he says, take heart. Take heart. No life will be lost. Just the ship. But we'll run, run aground. And so, what can you and I take away from this particular truth? Well, first is, is that if you have placed your faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received hope that endures everything. You you are confident that what God's Word says will be has been, and is. And so, if we believe that message, then we proclaim it to people who are hopeless. We've seen this throughout the book of Acts, right? The Holy Spirit moves into the hearts of the people, and they become, I'll use Paul's words, right? Dealers of hope. Hope dealers. I love it. Man, praise the Lord. Paul stood up and he spoke up. Why? Because they were hopeless without the word that he had received from God. Hopeless. And there are hopeless people all around us. I mean, the world is filled with hopeless people. And the Spirit of God that dwells in us desires the same for us that it did for Paul, to stand and speak. 
1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Paul, he, he didn't stand up and, and teach a little systematic theology so those people would recognize that they were in error. No, no. He proclaimed hope. He convinced them that, that what God said would be. And it was so persuasive that it changed not only the outcome, but how they got there for the rest of this journey. I love what Spurgeon says about this passage. He said, Paul wasn't a presumptuous dreamer, but a prudent speaker. Hmm. What Paul wanted was the people on board to be saved. That's what he wanted. I tell you what, folks. I pray that we'd be a people who want hopeless people to be saved. Well, I tell you what. If we could, if we could just get together on that, Lake Charles, Louisiana, and beyond would be a far different place. Proclaimers of hope. You know, people who have placed their hope in things, they're, they're not silent about them, right? I mean, how many people have come to you who have put their hope in some sort of object or program or idea to try to convince you that, that it's going to bring you some sort of hope? Man, I mean, they'll... They'll give their all to try to sell you some sort of program that, that they've placed their hope in. How can we be quiet about the eternal hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, how do people receive that? First of all, in this passage and in a lot of passages and in a lot of people in our own lives, hope is often rejected. Verse 27 through 30 says, When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. And so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms a little farther on, 15. Fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern, prayed for day to come. And listen to what, what happens in verse 30. And the sailors, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. <laughs> so these scammers said, hey, we're going to go and let the anchors down. And what they were really doing was lowering this boat. They were jumping ship. Now Paul has just proclaimed to them that he had received a message from the Lord that not a life would be lost Everything was going to be okay, that, that God was going to see them through to the end of this journey, and everybody would be saved. And yet, they said, we're going to go let the anchors down, and they're really doing was letting this little lifeboat down to get in and jump ship, sail away. And what it really boils down to is that what they really wanted to trust in was their own power and ability and resources. And that's often very, very tempting. So people re reject hope for a couple of different reasons. People reject Jesus for a couple of different reasons. One is, 
is that they see themselves or their circumstances as being so far gone, there's absolutely no way there could be hope. The second kind are people who think they can save themselves and are willing to sacrifice everything, including the lives of others, to save themselves. Now, both are terrible reasons to reject hope, but they're real, right? One, one says, I'm too far gone. No way I can be saved. The other says, I've got this. I don't need any help from God. In this story, we see that second case, right? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on my own, Paul. You know, appreciate the message, but I'm, I'm jumping ship. I'm getting in this boat. And uh, they were deceptive about it, right? But Paul makes it known real quick. Hey, they must stay in the ship. Now, I imagine it was pretty tempting for them to lower that boat down and separate themselves from this greater ship that was destroyed, right? Everything had been thrown overboard. Sails were tore up, headed for destruction. We got one shot in this little boat. We're the, the most skilled sailors on the ship. We're, we're going to lower this thing down. Hey, we'll tell them we're we'll going to set the anchors down, and we're going to get in this, and we're going to go away. What does that look like for you and I? First of all, I think we need to recognize that there are many things in life that appear to offer us hope, but fail miserably in doing so. There are many things in life that have the appearance that they will empower you to give yourself hope, or maybe that you can look to someone or something else and find hope. First, I think it's important to note that there are many substances that offer a false sense of hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. Ministering to people over the years, I've met many who are addicted to these, these substances for this very reason. Because it, it numbs the effect of their circumstances. That's what these substances are designed to do. And so it's tempting, right? Man, when, when the storm is crashing in, when everything looks hopeless, when, when it's just destruction after destruction after destruction and devastation after devastation, man, you'll turn to about anything. And anything that would just numb that gives this false sense of kind of a temporary hope. Part of my own testimony is that success offers a false sense of hope. Very tempting, right? Man, my circumstances are going to get way better if I can just climb the ladder of success, right? If I can get the bigger check or the higher title or the next degree then I'll have hope. I, like I said, I was, that was my testimony, man. I, I, 
I thought when I would have the greatest hope was when I had my own private jet. I mean, that's what, that's what I had my eyes set on. And that's what I wanted. That's, I had this false sense of hope. Man, I was willing to sacrifice everything and everybody to get there. Because I thought that's what life was all about. But more money and more knowledge will leave us as hopeless as ever, even if we achieve it. Now, are those things bad? Absolutely not. They do not bring eternal hope, and sometimes they can have the appearance to. Another thing, your soulmate cannot bring you eternal hope, right? Sometimes we look to our spouse or our spouse-to-be as if, man, when I get there, it's, I'll have it. That's the hope I need. Man, hey, marriage is a beautiful thing, and I encourage folks to get married, and I just, I love it. However, my hope is not in my wife, and Hers is not in mine, and if we live as if it is, we'll be hopeless. Jumping ship offers a false sense of hope. That's the very context here, right? And it's tempting, right? Man, though, think about it. Storm, waters are getting shallow. What do you think uh, will float in shallower water? The ship or that little lifeboat? I can tell you, right? I don't care how much cargo you've jettisoned, how much tackle you've thrown overboard, how much food you throw overboard, that, that little boat's going to tread a lot less water than that ship. Y'all ever seen those numbers on the side of a ship? I bet you old Kevin May could tell us all about it, right? Those mean something. If it's 30 right there, that means there's 30 foot of ship below that water. It takes some pretty deep water to float, to float some of those things. So they throw to, threw all that stuff over, try to make it. The water's getting shallow, and it was tempting. That happens. Man, it happens in churches. I can remember a time I was with my mentor, Joe, and, and uh, somebody asked him, said, Joe, why in the world are there so many Baptist churches? He's like, man, one block might have four Baptist churches. He said, well, you know, folks think things aren't going the way they should, or maybe... They, they think it's going into a path of destruction, so, hey, they just go down the road. Get in their own little boat and go start their own show. Now, they usually say they're doing something else, like they're let, letting the anchors down, and what they're really doing is trying to jump ship. It's tempting. No matter how shallow the waters appear or how grim the outlook is or how much we want to trust in our own strength and power, we know, we must know that our hope comes from the Lord. Now, is, is God against starting new churches? Absolutely not. I don't, man, if, if, we, if we can't see in the book of Acts that there's a purpose for that, man, we're missing it. There is a purpose for that. And it's to reach people who aren't being reached and who have yet to be reached with the gospel. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing throughout the book of Acts. And I hope he does it through us. But they never said hey, we're going to go over here and do this, and what they really did was something else. And so it's tempting. It's tempting to reject the eternal hope that God offers us in his word and trust in our own strength and power and our own ideas because we think we can make a difference. Lastly, my favorite point of all is we see hope 
restored. Hope was restored. Lives were saved. And it just proves that God does more than make promises. He keeps them. What he says is. He's the God who was and is and is to come. His word is the only thing we'll ever hold in our hands that lasts forever. The only thing. And we can be certain. And we have hope. We have eternal hope. Because this is true. And I won't read all of these verses for the, the sake of time. But, man, he says in verse 35, he took bread Gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and they ate. Then they threw the, the wheat overboard. In verses 39 through 44, what a beautiful ending to such a terrible situation. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed the bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. And so they cast off the anchors, left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, and then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But look how this hope is spreading right here. The centurion... Wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Man, they broke bread, jettisoned the wheat, pulled up the anchors, set the foresail, ran aground, shipwrecked, busted into pieces, and they, they floated to life on the pieces that were left. These soldiers were ready to kill the prisoners. But instead, their lives were saved. Hopeless. I mean, these people were hopeless. But God spoke Paul shared, the people received, and they all were saved. Over and over throughout Scripture, we see this. Over and over. Over and over throughout life, we see this, right? The wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, hope is disappearing, and all we have is this word that assures us, first of all, that we are hopeless. And we need to be mindful of that, right? The first step in coming to Christ is recognizing that we are hopeless in our sin and trespasses. We are dead. We look death in the face. Death is inevitable apart from Jesus Christ. But God loved us enough that when we couldn't get to him because of sin, and he came to us in the form of his son. We learned in Sunday school this morning, he stood in our place and he took upon himself the wrath of God. Because only he could. Only Jesus was capable of that. One of my children asked me this week, 
He said, Dad, how come when parents drive, they always say that if they see a wreck coming, they'd rather it hit on their side and take them out instead of their child? Man, I, I've been thinking about that. Of course, we had a, a conversation about it, but it's because we love them. And it's because we can, right? If I'm in control of that vehicle, and I love my child so much that I would sacrifice my own life so that it might live, so they might live, and I would rather take that upon myself so that they might live. Now, the, the parallel there is that In light of eternity, we don't have the power to sacrifice ourselves so that others may live. Or that we will live. There's only one. And he is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And guess what? He's not just willing to, to die in our place. He has died in our place. And he has died in the place of the most hopeless human you could ever imagine. Maybe they live with you. Maybe they live next to you. Maybe they work with you. Maybe they're in the detention center or the federal prison. There is hope for the hopeless. And we should see it that way. And man, we should be dealers of hope. We should be proclaimers of hope because we all were once hopeless, just like Paul. Man, think about that guy. He was a murderer of Christians. We read it. I mean, we, we heard his, his testimony more than once throughout the book of Acts. Murderer of Christians, blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, led by the hand to the message of hope, received it, born again, filled with the Spirit, and now is sharing that hope in the middle of a storm as a prisoner on a ship. What an unlikely person to save 276 lives on that ship. And you, you may think of yourself as the most unlikely, unqualified unable person to lead others to salvation. You might, you might think of yourself as that. I hope this story would encourage you. If you've received hope, you have something to share. And it's, it, it's not in a lecture. It's to stand and convince others that there is hope because God says there is hope. And there will always be When death is inevitable, only God can bring life. If you're here today and Holy Spirit has convicted your heart and shown you that you are powerless in your battle with sin, I just want to share with you this morning that that battle has already been won on the cross. And it's yours to have through faith and repentance. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I, I want to urge you this morning to, to trust in Him. You may not even know what that means or how to do that. 
I'd love to have a conversation with you about it or any of us would. Maybe you're here this morning and this message has shown you that God can use the most unlikely people to bring hope to those who are looking death in the face. That's you this morning. I pray that you'd look for those opportunities. Pay attention to those who are hopeless, reminded by what God has said, and bring them hope. We see this is a story where it, it kind of took all hands on deck, right? Paul needed those sailors. And it was God's will that everyone stay aboard and be a part of the process of reaching the shore safely and living. And as we shared last week, man, we pray that that's, that'd be the case here at Self Street, right? That every one of us would, would know the, the importance and the, the design that God has for us and that it's all hands on deck, right? It, it's... They didn't turn the ship over to Paul and just put him at the helm and they arrived safely. No. Man, it was a team effort. Everybody was there. And they, they ran ashore. <laughs> I mean, that's not, a, that's not the desired outcome. But guess what? God took the pieces that were left over and they floated to life. This passage is has far more in it than I've been able to share this morning. I mean, literally, we could preach 10 weeks in this past. All I did was trace the journey of hope from abandonment to restoration. But it is filled with all kinds of lessons on all kinds of things, all kinds of truths. It, this passage is... It is actually one that has truly transformed my life through this book called Called to Lead. It's 26 leadership lessons from the life of the Apostle Paul. And I have this one to give away if somebody wants it this morning. But I, I almost just feel convicted that we should do more with this passage. And so I prayed about how we might make more out of it and this is by far my favorite leadership book. And so as part of our invitation this morning, I want to invite anyone that would be interested in doing a study through this book and allow this passage to flesh itself out a little more uh, through that. And so if you're here this morning or if you know someone, uh, it's not just a Self Street specific thing, but uh, I want to invite you to, to just... Sign up for that, for lack of a better term. Let me know if you want to be a part of that study. Um, it'll take a few weeks to work through it. But if, if you're interested in digging into this passage a little more and seeing the, the leadership principles that are demonstrated in it, I, I would ask you to let me know. Shoot me a text or come see me, and, and uh, I want to follow up and study this some more afterwards. But as we close this morning, our band's going to come, and we're going to have a, just a time of invitation. And 
in response to, to this passage that that could look a lot of different ways, right? First and foremost, if you're hopeless in sin and it's driving you in the wrong direction and you don't know where to turn, I, I want to invite you. Our, we'll have a few of our elders in the front this morning. I want to invite you to come and just let us pray with you. And I want to encourage you to repent, to trust in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be saved. The Word has promised that no one is too far gone for that. 276 lives were saved because... God sent an angel to Paul and said, not one life will be lost. That's exactly what happened. In the same way, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And not one could be plucked out of his hand. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you are a believer. Maybe... Maybe there's someone in your life that's hopeless and you just want just to go to the throne and just plead for mercy on their behalf. That they might have hope. And we'd love to pray for you in that. Maybe you're hopeless in some relationship or lack thereof. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you're tempted to trust in something else. Maybe you're tempted to jump ship, whether it be at church or in your marriage or at work. Or man, I we'd love to pray with you and have a conversation about that. Right? We're in this together. And the last thing that we want. Is, is for every message that we have to be just one directional, right? Man, the Christian walk is relational. The church is about community and, and working together. It's not about just coming on Sunday morning and, and hearing a message and walking away and being disconnected from their own. And so, man, who knows how else the Lord may be calling you to respond to this message of hope that we've seen today in this passage. Man, please do. I'm going to ask our elders to come. We're going to sing. We're going to sing. Why? Because we have hope. And if I just, I can't urge you enough to truly respond. It doesn't have to be with us. Man, the, the, the beauty of the veil being torn between us and God is that we go directly to Him, right? It, a priest is no longer necessary. You don't have to sacrifice an animal before you can enter into the presence of God. Jesus has been sacrificed, and we have direct access to Him. Maybe you just need to go to the Lord and work it out. So I pray that 
that Holy Spirit would have his way in each of our hearts as we sing and respond. Just a